Welcome to Beyond the Pillion. This is episode five. My name is Kahiwa Sabaya. I use she, her pronouns and I am the chaotic one. And my name is Mark Drexler. I use he, him pronouns and I made a small fortune by starting out with a large fortune and then getting into restoring old motorcycles. We will start today, as always, with our acknowledgement that today we meet on the traditional lands of the Ghana people and pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. What are we talking about today, Kaheba? Today, we are looking at some of the ways you can end up not as a statistic on the road and still have heaps of fun, aka how do we ride to stay alive? Because that's kind of the goal. You know, to be able to actually get back home, right? One half, one half is get home safely, and the second one is have fun doing it. Exactly. Now, Mark, you you had some stats that you'd been looking up, uh, a little bit of history about you know why this is an important thing to talk about. Yeah. So, um, no doubt, if you're getting your license or you got your license, you will have your well-meaning friends who will be telling you how dangerous it is, how they'd never do it, how you're a temporary Australian, etc., etc., etc. So, in terms of relative risk, now these are Australian Australian stats, um, and they are general in in their number. Um, every year in Australia for the last five, five or so years, there's been about 200-ish, between 200 and 250 motorcycle-related deaths um, across Australia on Australian roads. And to put that in some sort of perspective, across that same period, there is around about 1,500 deaths every year from alcohol-related diseases and incidents. So uh, if anybody is standing with a glass of wine in their hand telling you how dangerous you are for being on a motorcycle, then you can throw that one back and ask them why no one's talking about the impact that alcohol has on our society. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now um, <laughs> and say that that is, a, a, that is a very useful sort of stat in terms of the relativity to keep in mind. Um, and when it comes to... But there to, are injuries oh, and there are deaths that come from from motorcycling, um, either caused by motorcyclists or involving just one motorcyclist or involving, you know, one or more other vehicles. Uh, so mm-hmm. there, there is valid concern um, yeah, in thinking definitely. about that. Yeah, um, but when you look at a lot of these statistics and uh, well, easiest places just to watch the six o'clock news here in Australia, Uh, and look at a lot of the deaths that do occur with uh, on motorcycles or that are involving motorcycles and a lot of them will involve one of two things one is excessive speed and the second one is some form of uh, mind-altering substance whether it be alcohol or other drugs in a person's system so uh, the most of the stats that I've seen seem to indicate that, yeah, those are the two um, highest correlation, uh, highest correlation factors that come into motorcycle crashes. So we are going to assume when we're talking today that you are on the road and you're not riding a too fast and that you're not drunk or high. Um, if you are doing either of those things, then honestly, there's not a lot we can do to help you. Um, <laughs> you're kind of on your own and we've told you so. Don't drink and ride. Mm-hmm. Don't take drugs and ride. And if you want to go fast, head out to a racetrack, do a track day. We'll do another podcast about them later. They are fantastic things. The road is not a racetrack. End of story. <laughs> Any other stats that you wanted to throw in there, Kahiwa? Um, we did do a, a quick little look for some of the stats around motorcycle collision um, crashes and uh, injuries and, and fatalities and some of the things that mm. we saw there, as you might kind of understand, a lot of the injuries and fatalities involving a motorcyclist and um, another vehicle um, tend to be at intersections. Um, mm. They are, you know, pretty risky places for reasons we'll, we'll talk about in a second. Um, so mm-hmm. it can be useful to keep an eye on um, the intersections in your area where you might be riding and just have a sense of which ones might be a little bit more risky. Are they ones that you can mm. avoid or ones that you maybe just a little bit more attentive and prepared as you kind of coming into them? Mm-hmm. 
And what about single vehicle accidents, Kahiwa? Were there any any standouts looking at causes of or correlations of single vehicle accidents? Yeah, we saw um, in this in, in this particular report. It's a few years old, but um, I'm going to assume it, it still kind of stands. It's probably still uh, valid. Probably um, injuries and fatalities for motorcyclists in a single vehicle kind of collision or incident. Um, vast majority were corners. Uh, mm. So it, yep. it came from someone potentially losing control or um, at a quick glance, um, you know, kind of going in, in too hot or, or similar and, and, you know, taking a line that, you know, maybe a straight line when the corner kind of veers around instead. So again, this is about knowing the road, knowing your speed, um, being in the right kind of mindset um, as much as possible. Um, I think the the other kind of thing to keep in mind is that there's there's only so much that you can do as an individual. The same thing is when you are in a car or any other vehicle on the road. Mm. Um, sometimes there are just hazards um, that you can't control that you just need to respond to. But as much as possible, the thing that I think we're really, really hot on um, is to to reduce the risk as much as possible. But I think in saying that, you know, there are incidents of, of injuries and fatalities for motorcyclists either on their own or um, with other vehicles involved, there are also some actual advantages um, Absolutely. To, to riding a bike. Did you want to talk about that at all, Mark? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and these are things that if you're not already on your bike, then you will find them out pretty quickly. First one being that generally on a motorcycle, you can accelerate much quicker than most cars. Of course, unless you're on a CB125E, in which case then you're pretty much level with everyone else. But even LAMS approved 300cc bikes are going to be quicker away from away from the traffic lights uh, and we'll explain mm. why that is important later on um, so you do have that acceleration that can get yourself out of trouble um, I always feel more vulnerable on a push bike on the road compared to being on a motorbike because I have no acceleration to get out of trouble at least mm. on a motorbike you do you are very maneuverable so you are you are smaller you've got um, a, a lot of potential to to move the vehicle quickly in different directions and you've also got a lane that you are riding in that is designed for the width of a car so you can have a lot of choice when you are riding a motorbike about where you position yourself in that lane so you, you've got more flexibility there uh, because you are sitting up taller on most motor motorcycles then in traffic very often you've got a fantastic view where you can see over the top of a whole lot of cars and you can see a lot further ahead uh, to be able to gauge what's going on with traffic you have less blind spots because you don't have things like uh, door pillars that are sitting in your peripheral vision um, so you tend to get a much better view of the road uh, you have a lot less distractions when you're on a motorbike. So you are generally not playing around with your phone, messing around with the, the air conditioning, um, changing the, uh, you know, trying to hit next on your Spotify playlist or find that particular playlist that you really wanted while, you, while you're driving. So you do tend to just be more, more alert because you have far less distractions. Um, and not only are you alert because you have less distractions, but you also are much more closely connected to your surroundings. You will notice things like road condition. You will notice things like weather because you are there immersed in them in a very visceral connected type of way compared to when you sit in a car which is a great big metal cage its job is to try and isolate you from as much of that outside world as it can mm. so mm. you will be more alert and you will learn more about there'll be things that you notice on road surfaces that you never really thought that much about like inspection <laughs> hole covers metal plates white lines potholes that in a car you just plow over them on a motorbike all of a sudden you'll start noticing and you will become a lot more aware about about what you are riding over yeah, I, I noticed that now pulling into traffic lights uh, and, and intersections, being able to spot 
liquid on the road. Um, so whether that's kind of coolant from radiators or potentially oil or you know something out of air conditioners, mm-hmm. I notice that a lot more when I'm in a motorbike and you know then very careful about where I place myself on the road um, as I come mm-hmm. into an intersection because yeah, when you're in a car, you just you just go right over it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you do. You just don't. There are things that you worry about that you just don't when you're in a car because you don't have to. Mm. Yeah, so, absolutely. Mm. So, yeah, with with all of these risks about um, about riding your motorcycle and, and riding to stay alive, um, we like to think of it as being two things to do. Uh, you can either reduce the risk or the likelihood of the risk actually eventuating, um, and you can reduce mm-hmm. the impact of an incident if that actually does come about. So start by thinking a little bit first about what can we do to reduce the likelihood of something bad, some kind of incident or collision or or other outcome actually happening. Um, Mm -hmm. I think previously we mentioned, I I like to think about it as just assuming that cars either haven't seen you or that they're actually intending to hit you and ride Mm -hmm. and position yourself accordingly. So if we assume that a driver of a car hasn't seen you, then how can I move and position myself on the road um, to increase the chances of being seen? And as Mark mentioned, you know, uh, lanes on the road are designed for the size and the width of a car. You can fit a good two or three motorbikes width um, across there. So there are quite a few spots on the road lanes where you can put yourself to increase your chances of being seen. I did a road craft and, and kind of advanced skills course uh, with rad skills a couple of mm-hmm. years ago when I first started riding. And that was one of the things we picked up on there. If you think about a lane um, on the road um, and imagining the wheels of a car uh, put you in kind of a left, left wheel lane, left wheel part of the lane, right wheel part of the lane or the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, we learned about in that course was generally speaking riding in the behind the right wheel of a car uh, which is in australia where the driver sits so they're more likely to be then seeing you in their rear view mirror more likely to see you in the right uh, external mirror Um, and so that you know increases the likelihood that they're going to see you there as well and also cars in behind you you're going to be right in front of the driver when you're coming into intersections or other kind of things happening on the road, then you might position yourself over to the left wheel part of the lane or in the middle um, to try and put yourself in the the view of other car drivers and other vehicle users on the road. The yeah, and kind of, I, I just oh, yeah. wanted to throw something in there just to say that exactly lines up with what, when I was a rider safe instructor doing formal teaching for people getting their learner's permit, uh, that right-hand position was absolutely what we would teach as being the, the sort of default spot. Uh, so mm-hmm. again, for anybody in the US or anybody where you drive on the right-hand side of the road, that would then be the left left tyre lane but for um, Australia then it would be um, yeah in that right hand tyre lane for all the reasons Kahi was said another reason to avoid travelling in the outer or in Australia left hand tyre track is it is an encouragement for impatient car drivers behind you particularly when you're on your learners um, to treat you like a cyclist and to try and mm. overtake you on on a spot where uh, they really shouldn't be overtaking you and then pushing you off to one side. So remember, you've got your learners, you've got your motorbike, you are entitled to that piece of road there. So don't be afraid to sit on that right hand, that right hand tire track. You are more visible. You've earned the right to have that piece of road. And uh, yeah, don't, don't yeah. be afraid to use it. And, and that kind of leads into the second part of that is, you know, potentially assuming car drivers are intending to hit you, which, you know, hashtag not oh. all car drivers, vast majority aren't. But if we assume that they might be or are going to, then we can ride defensively and protectively. And exactly to that point, Mark, where um, riding uh, as though you are confident that you are entitled to that piece of the road. Mm-hmm. within the limits of the law and all those things as well. But riding confidently, um, 
does actually provide a little bit of, of protection, um, particularly if you are on a smaller bike or if you're a learner, rider, um, maybe going a little bit slower, just placing yourself in a place where um, uh, you're showing other road users that, that you, are, you are there with intention and with purpose. That also kind of connects into the idea of, of buffer zones. Mm. The best way to not get hit by a car is to not be near a car or other vehicle. Mark, I know this yes. is a hot topic for you. Yeah, this is absolutely something I am passionate about when you talk about, and the, the, the risk managers in the audience are saying, oh, yeah, re reduce likelihood and reduce impact. That's risk management 101, and you're spot on. It is risk management 101. <laughs> um, and the easiest way to not get hit by, I won't just say a car, any other road user, is to not mm. be near other road users. So um, I mentioned earlier about the benefits of having a, uh, a motorcycle, one of them being... Um, acceleration. So for those who are new and wondering why do all you motorcyclists tend to get up to the front of the traffic and or if you are at the traffic then try and scream away as fast as you can. For me, well partly because it's fun but also because uh, it's the quickest way generally that I can put a whole bunch of car lengths between me and anybody else, anybody else behind me. So I am immediately creating a um, a physical, you know, buffer of space away from yeah away from other road users, and that's the same with mm. cyclists, with pedestrians, with other motorcyclists. God bless us, we do have some very special units out there riding motorcycles as well. Um, and people who have not taken on board the idea that we need to ride. Uh, in order to stay alive. Yeah, people who maybe have a much higher <laughs> risk threshold. A couple of people out there, you know mm. who I'm talking about, you know I'm looking at you mm. as much as as much as I love you, but still. Um, yeah, so the, those buffer zones for me are the, the first thing that, you, of, obviously you can't do them all the time because sometimes you're going to be riding in peak hour traffic uh, and you simply can't do anything about it. Uh, because you are going to be packed in like sardines regardless but if you can create some space then create some space and that also works in going going backwards behind traffic that if you are in a long line of traffic and you can see you know a handful of cars and it's a dual or two lanes going the same way and everybody's getting a bit antsy trying to overtake everyone else just back off let it let, let the mess clear out don't jam yourself into the middle of into the middle of a high-risk situation where everyone's trying to get ahead of everyone else. Just take a breath, sit back, wait for it to mm. clear, wait for there to be more space, and then go and then go and overtake. So, yeah, sorry about that, but that's my buffer zone rant. It's one of my many rants. I, I have a whole <laughs> kit bag of rants, and that one is the one for this podcast. So, yes, go ahead. And I think it, it it comes back to that idea that writing should be fun. Um, and at least for me, I don't find it fun when I am stressed by other vehicle users around me, you know, in, in my space, reducing my buffer zones, um, all those types of things. And thinking back also to where, where we place ourselves on the road to create those buffer zones. So yes, you know, reducing our speed to create a bit more of space uh, between us and a vehicle in front. Um, going a little bit faster, particularly at, at coming out of intersections and traffic lights in order to create more space between us and the vehicle behind. But also where we place ourselves on the road in those those tire tracks, those wheel lines um, on the lane, that can help us build buffer zones as well. So, uh, yeah. you know, really prime example, if you're coming into an intersection where uh, cars or vehicles are coming from the right hand side, you can just move a little bit to be behind that left that left wheel, left tire track uh, line of the mm -hmm. lane to give you a bit more space between you and any vehicles that might be coming in or merging. Um, and similarly, if uh, you know roads coming in from the left-hand side, just shifting yourself to the right-hand tire track of that lane just creates a little bit more space. Also means that slight movement um, between the right and the left tire track or vice versa and the lane that's another signal to other vehicle users um, that there is actually a vehicle here <laughs> kind of creates uh, an opportunity for them to notice you, which again, coming back to the first one, how can we make ourselves seen? Mm. 
in addition to how can we increase the ability for us to see what's happening on the road around us um, and that yeah. you know connects really strongly with another big thing here around just just please please don't tailgate yeah, <laughs> please don't, don't go don't up do too that. close yeah yes we know that most motorbikes have really strong brakes these days and you can stop extremely quickly in in good weather conditions but you are putting a whole lot of um responsibility onto your cat-like reflexes uh which mm. particularly when you're learning you may not have just the the, the quickness and the grooved nature of or yeah embedded nature of being able to break change down and do everything else really smoothly so don't mm. tailgate and the other thing it does all it does is piss car drivers off um, a, a big part of being a motorcyclist that you are going to do out there to, when you're riding safely is also trying to show car drivers that um, don't give them any reason to um, more deeply embed their confirmation bias that all <laughs> motorcyclists are total idiots and, and ride like complete Muppets on the road. So try and be a good yeah. citizen. Um, and tailgating is one of those things that it's putting yourself in danger and it's just pissing people off and making the road an angrier place. So just, again, don't do it. Mm. Buffer zone. Sorry, yeah, cable buffer intersections. Zone. <laughs> well, I was thinking in terms of tailgating, that also kind of comes into play as you're coming into an intersection. Um, I know I know of a handful of people who are motorcyclists who have uh, been in a collision and have been injured and um, a really strong theme coming through those is intersections where mm. maybe they're coming a little bit closer in behind another car. Um, and then a car or another vehicle just comes up in behind them. They haven't seen the motorcycle is there. Um, and mm. you know, the motorcyclist gets pretty much chunked into the intersection or um, you know, flown off the, the bike itself. So partly that comes, you know, tailgating comes into play there around making sure we've got enough of a buffer zone as you're coming into an intersection. But that also means um, just generally treating intersections with, with caution. Um, yeah. As we said earlier, there will be some where there are a higher incidence of collisions. Um, so just being aware of those. Um, but I, I know a big thing that I'm quite careful of is, is not assuming that people are going to stop for red lights coming in other directions. Uh, mm. I think particularly bit of an Adelaide thing to treat orange as green and red as orange. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, another rider safe thing that we used to say to people is uh, red lights and stop signs do not have some sort of supernatural power that forces people to stop behind them. When a red light's showing on inter an intersection, it means that a red light is showing on an intersection. And hopefully mm. most people, assuming they're not dicking around on their phone or um, or completely half asleep, then hopefully they will see that and stop. But yeah, um, always be watching, um, be watching as you come into an intersection. Uh, roundabouts are just as bad. One of the things mm -hmm. that I tend to tend to say to riders is, whenever you are coming into those situations, try and make eye contact with a driver if you're yes. making eye contact with any other road user regardless driver rider pedestrian whoever um, if you're making con eye contact with them and they're making eye contact with you then it lowers the likelihood that you're going to hear those awful words of um oh i'm so sorry i didn't see you um, yeah. and as soon as you see that they are not making eye contact and they might be looking somewhere else then crank up your risk register there to say, hang on a minute, I'm not convinced that that person has seen me and get prepared to do some defensive, um, some, some defensive writing if you need to, um, because there is absolutely no point. I hear, I hear some people say, well, I had the green light. It was my right way. It's like on a motorbike, there is zero brownie points for being in the right. If you are also in the back of an ambulance, um, mm -hmm. and that impact piece, yeah, you, you wear the impact of it. So by God, you better believe it. You have to be thinking for every other road user out there. If you want to have a long and happy and incident free motorcycling life. Yeah, that, that's something I'm, I, I hold quite closely, particularly, uh, 
when when you're riding you're got kind of straight continuing right of way and there is a road joining from the left uh, and you know vehicles kind of merging into travel in the same direction as you one of the things i will almost always do by habit now is yeah look for eye contact of the driver mm. of that vehicle coming in um, and if they are looking at any other direction i am braking because yep. I cannot assume that they have seen me, that they're going to wait for me. I've seen so many times uh, vehicles kind of pulling out in front of me and other vehicles where, in my opinion, there wasn't a gap. Maybe I've got a different threshold. That's totally fine. But I know that I've also done that. You know, been in a mm. car and had uh, instances of, of narrow misses um, where it's yep. like, oh, actually, that probably wasn't a gap on reflection. So I do that too. Um I think it's really important to to just just be cautious, um, not overly so that you freeze up, but just a, a low level kind of um, awareness. Alert, but and, not alarm. Uh, intentionally, yes, exactly. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, intersections. Trying to you know, manage managing yourselves again, working yeah. to to see what's happening. Um, and to try and be seen by other vehicle users um, and trying to position yourselves in a way that is providing a level of kind of defensiveness and protection. A really interesting thing, uh, I think quite recently in South Australia, is the ability to lane filter. Yes. Um, where in the last you five are, years, I reckon that has changed. Mm, where if two lanes of, technically, two lanes of traffic traveling in the same direction, um, and under, I think, 30 kilometres an hour as a motorcyclist, Correct. you are allowed to travel in between those two lanes of vehicles um, and then merge back in. Uh, that, I believe, is, is relatively close to the proper legal of definition of lane filtering. What I see are people uh, travelling in the bike lane or the left-hand most part of the lane on yeah, the road, which is not allowed. Correct. Uh, weaving in and out in between cars when we're traveling at a higher speed, also not allowed. Um, mm -hmm. But those things, in my mind, are just, they're just risky. Um, yeah, it can be a yeah. real big benefit, I think, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, for me, the commute um, from home to the city and back dropped dramatically uh, when I was legally able to lane filter, which uh, is once you have got into your R-date license in South Australia, not allowed to lane filter on a learner's permit, mm -hmm. um, but does introduce some risks. Mark, you've got, got thoughts on those risks? Um, yeah, so it is, it, well, it's one of the biggest benefits of being a motorcyclist. And of course, check your local, check your local authorities in terms of what you are allowed to do in, as a motorcyclist when you are allowed to lane filter, both in terms mm. of your license and the conditions under which you can do it. Um, okay, he was nailed it for South Australian law there. Uh, and it is one of the things that can make a significant um, improvement in the travel time. So when you are on in peak hour traffic on major roads, then lane filtering can make it hugely quicker. Even going at 30 k's an hour, if everybody else is jammed solid and you are starting to make good um, good progress, then it's fantastic. But you are you are moving between uh, lines of two two lines of very large vehicles. Um, so it is something that the 30k an hour limit, which is law in South Australia, is one that I think is about right because mm. it still needs you it still gives you enough time to be able to stop um, for the un that the unexpected and the unexpected in those situations is because every car driver in particular thinks that well they're stopped therefore everybody is stopped so um people who might be they've left a gap in the traffic to let somebody cut across who's trying to cut across lanes of traffic um, who aren't thinking about oh yeah there might be a motorbike coming up through those those two lanes filtering um, people opening car doors, people putting their arms or hands out the window. Um, with or any, without cigarettes. With or without cigarettes. <laughs> uh, occasionally, thankfully, rarely, it seems in South Australia it's settled down, but occasionally car drivers not being happy that somebody on a motorcycle is 
um, doing exactly what they can legally do, which is riding up, uh, riding up between them. So definitely be slow yes, and cautious. Yes, I have had instances where um, a car driver in that particular, I think, mindset decided to shift the car just slightly in closer to the centre between the two lanes so that there was not enough space anymore to filter, which fine however you know that's part of the risk of it and that's where you want to be able to be going at a speed where you can still stop very quickly for personally for me i very rarely lane filter over kind of 20 k's an hour and we'll be looking to merge into traffic as soon as we're getting anywhere near 25 30 because i think it's it's too too risky for me for my opinion and my mm -hmm. my riding confidence to be going too fast between those lanes of traffic because I've had a situation where a car driver decided, no, actually, I don't think you should be able to lane filter, which their car, as you said, better to be home and not in the back yeah. of an ambulance. Yep, and uh, spot on. And, and very often when I'm lane filtering, pretty much all the time when I'm lane filtering, um, I will be riding even just very gently the rear brake um, just mm. to try and at least have some steadiness and stability there with uh, with the brake. Um, something as a new rider that all new riders should be careful about when you're doing rapid braking, um, particularly whenever you are even slightly on a curve, is um, stopping with your front brake which you absolutely need to know how to stop well with your front brake. But in those situations where you're doing low speed stuff, um, sometimes grabbing a bit too much front brake can have the bike uh, lean over a little bit more. And I saw someone just today do this, trying to do a low speed, uh, a low speed turning maneuver, uh, grab the front brake. And next thing you know, the, side, the, the motorbike was laying on its side and we picked it up and everything, everything was happy. So in those situations of lane filtering, I am constantly just dragging the rear brake just a little bit, just to um, already have the braking process started. Should I need to just, uh, yeah, do do something rapidly uh, because a another vehicle has done something that I wasn't expecting. So it's a great thing, but just um, that there's reasons why most learners aren't allowed to do it, and even when you do start doing it. Use it with use it with caution. Be respectful with it, and it can be a fantastic thing. Mm, absolutely, and I think that connects in with the other thing that we we try to do and that we recommend in terms of reducing the overall likelihood of of uh, negative uh, experiences, um, and that's just really watching the body language of the drivers of vehicles around you. Um, do they look impatient? Do they look aggressive? Do they look distracted? One of the things that I, I keep an eye out for quite a lot when you're in uh, roads with multiple lanes of traffic in the same direction um, is, is, is there a car that looks like they've been changing lanes quite often and quite quickly? Um, mm. And if I'm coming up close to them, then I will intentionally just give them a lot of space. If I can see that, there yeah. might be a situation where they might want to overtake. Um, yeah, it's, it can be useful to build up your database of the behaviour of other drivers. And that not everyone is going to behave in a certain way, but there will be some that are um, uh, more more impactful if something was to happen to you. I think the story in a previous episode about you know three lanes merging into two and I can see these two mm. vehicles on either side and the assumption being that either one of them is not going to see me or one of them is going to very intentionally take that merge pretty late on uh, mm -hmm. turned out to be right which is always nice um, but you know that's just about trying to to assume make some assumptions about what's happening on the road around you um, in the rad skills course as well I think one of the things that they recommend having a look for are um, the where where the, the driver's hands are on their wheel or where the wheels are turning. Do they look like they're about to be kind of coming out and moving towards you and just starting to look for some of those signs that something might be happening. And all of that is really just about um, yeah, defensive riding, being attentive, being observant, as you mentioned, Mark, being alert but not alarmed um, and keeping an eye out for what's happening. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's learning the body language of cars, particularly cars, um, and being able to read that and then adjust your behaviour accordingly. Really, you are mm. because you are so much more exposed. Then yeah, you need to be much hotter on being able to read what's going on around you because you are the one who will have the biggest impact in the event of an incident, which probably mm -hmm. is a nice segue, I think, Kay, would just say we, we've talked a lot about reducing the likelihood of something bad happening. What about reducing the impact? Yeah, I think this is a really important thing to keep in mind that we can do all these things um, to to try and take as much control for ourselves as motorcyclists um, to reduce the likelihood of something negative happening to us. But the reality is um, that there are a number of um, injuries and fatalities that occur that are completely no fault of the motorcyclist themselves. Yep, um, and so therefore, when that happens, what can we do to um, reduce the impact? Because although the likelihood of an incident might be comparable to driving a car, the impact is going to be a lot higher for you as a motorcyclist. Mm. You don't have the great big metal or I suppose now often plastic, but metal cage around you. <laughs> At least some metal in there somewhere. <laughs> some in the metal. Um, you don't have airbags, all of these other things that can provide a, a much higher level of protection. So when we are riding um, as a motorcyclist, it's really on us to have that last that last layer of defense, which is your protective gear. Um, this is something that I'm personally really uh, passionate about. It's probably my rant. Um, <laughs> Uh, we talked about the basics um, in a previous episode in terms of getting started. So mm -hmm. helmet and gloves, um, that these are essential. A helmet is a legal requirement for a reason. Um, and gloves are just a, a logical no-brainer, really. Um, yeah. Anything, anytime you're coming off off a bike, the, probably one of the first things that's going to happen is your hands are going to reach out and yeah. potentially hit gravel or asphalt, and they will get burnt, mangled, broken, shredded, all sorts of things without without something to protect them. And gloves can be a really good example for that. And they're not that expensive uh, of the bits of kit you are going to buy. They are one of the cheaper items that, that you mm. can get. Even if they're a cheap pair of motorcycling gloves, you can probably pick some up on, on sale somewhere for like 50 bucks. And compared to the amount of uh, pain and plastic surgery that you go through if you ever have a, a nasty incident and take a whole lot of skin off your hands, seriously, I just get I get freaked out when I see people with riding without them. Just, just do it, yeah. please, for my sake. <laughs> And I think you know, one of the arguments can be, oh, you know, I want to be able to, to you know, feel the wind on my hands or it's warm, which I think yes, is a bit of an argument not. for a lot of people about protective gear in general. But just know mm. that there are a wide variety of gloves that are available, you know, from mm. um, typical leather looking gloves to things that have a bit more mesh for airflow, but still have protection in them from, um uh, like things hitting them, so protection over your knuckles, but also wrapping all around and protecting the skin. Hmm. Um, through to ones that are you know, fully wintered, cold weather ready um, to keep your hands warm, but also fully protected and um, away from the elements as well. And you can even get ones that have built-in heaters now, and they are as good as they sound oh, in yes. the middle of winter. Mm. Anyway, we're talking and about I, that now. I, Sorry, I on. did. I did, I did, I did, I did get a new pair of gloves that are the perfect yellow to match my bike. So that's also possible just for those of you who are driven um, by style. Uh, there Ooh. are a number of glove options that are yeah, uh, colour really coordinating nice with the rest of Absolutely. your gear. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Sometimes a bit harder to find, but they are out there. They are out there. Thank goodness for the mm. internet. Um, mm. I think else? the next kind of... The next um, part of protective gear that's really important, um, a jacket. So something that mm. covers you ideally from neck to rest to hips. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
a lot of these will have impact protection built in so they'll have armor at the elbows at the shoulders and possibly even back protection mm -hmm. um, so to help you if you were to fall off or come off the bike and, and land on your back or on an elbow or similar um, they'll be really good and again there are a wide variety of jackets for different uh, temperatures and climates um, so ranging from ones again with a bit more mesh to allow airflow through um, if you're riding in, in a warmer area through to ones with multiple layers of um, padding and uh, fluffy uh, all sorts of filling to keep you super super toasty warm ones that will provide protection against the rain and water um, and ones that might be a little bit more kind of street casual kind of vibes um, and of course the ever classic beautiful leather jacket um, a bunch of those exist around too mm -hmm. and it's um, probably when you are first starting out uh, it can be daunting because well you can get all this spectrum of gloves and jackets and everything else um, where do you go because you don't want to have to go in and buy buy multiple items of the same thing when you're just mm -hmm. getting started I tend to say try and try and go for the Goldilocks, go for the middle ground, uh, get something that is ideally if it's a jacket, getting one with a removable liner can make it mm. something that you can wear in multiple different uh, different seasons. Um, if you're going for a glove, probably get one that's not a full-on summer vent ventilated to hell mesh glove, but also not a full-on winter gauntlet. There, there are ones that are kind of the middle of the road. And at least that will get you going for a while. And then over time, particularly middle of winter, you may be one of the many motorcyclists that decides riding in the depths of winter, wherever you come from, really isn't something you enjoy. And the bike gets tucked away <laughs> under a blankie for, for, for a couple of months of the year. Um, so yeah, start off, start off at the middle ground and uh, not over-investing. Don't don't get suckered into thinking you need to spend three grand on bike gear when particularly when you're first starting out just go in uh, this is where the importance of having either a uh, a good friend who's been through it through it before or a bike shop that you can go to that you trust again who um, will be able to not just come in there and see you as a walking wallet to try and sell you absolutely everything but to really just sell you uh, enough to at least get started and i kind of hope that most motorbike shops are like that because we're all enthusiasts or we should all be enthusiasts if we're working at a motorbike shop but um yeah go and look for the stuff that is at least going to get you get you going it's probably also a good point here to just uh mention like you've been talking about kevlar pants and the difference between them and normal denim jeans in terms of protection so a couple of points to make there. Firstly, it's similar with uh, with jackets. Just because a jacket is a leather jacket, if it's a uh, one that's just more a casual jacket, that's a leather jacket that's not been designed for use on a motorcycle, you're probably going to find that the protection it's going to give you is a heck of a lot less than what you would get for something that is specifically designed mm. as a motorcycle jacket. And uh, and also leather versus synthetic. So if you're talking to old scrotes like me or possibly even older, there are a few motorcyclists that are even older than me, then some of them existed in an age where the only thing you would ever ride for, uh, ride with for protection was leather. These days you can get very good quality synthetic uh, jackets and, and pants that will give you a heck of a lot of protection right up there comparable levels of protection as uh, as leather so that argument's kind of not that relevant anymore about mm. is leather or synthetic clothing more going to give you better protection it's yeah that one's kind of a red herring now because there's been such uh improvements in the protective capabilities of both that yeah it's it's not really an argument anymore yeah and i think for me the question about leather versus synthetic is actually more about other things um if i'm looking for something that is going to be a bit more breathable um or mm -hmm. i'm looking for yep. something that will provide protection against rain and, and water i'm probably going to choose mm. synthetic 
Um, but there's nothing quite like the comfort and the feel of, of a leather jacket in particular. Um, we know that for mm, track that days, some places still require a full leather suit and they don't accept yep. um, people with synthetic suits. But that's a topic for another mm. episode. I think what it really yes. comes down to is, is, is things that are going to protect and probably things that you can actually want to wear and that you want to feel good in. And as I mentioned in the last few years, I've really noticed quite a few brands coming out now with some actually really good gear um, for for women and for, for female bodies um, that are both really good in terms of providing high levels of protection um, but also looking good on and off the bike. Um, I think we're going to talk about some of that gear um, in later episodes but you know, for me that's some of the, the legging type pants um, that look a bit like jeans um, or look like leggings but are really nice and comfortable really high levels of protection with kevlar lining with um, knee armor and you know quite a, a number of jackets i may be one of those people who likes to buy things for specific types of vibes um, but you know i've got a really nice kind of uh, casual denim looking jacket but it is kevlar lined it does have the armor at the shoulders at the elbows across the back um, and it so it looks good it looks really comfy um, and similarly with with boots and shoes um, there are a number of options now for boots that will provide um, a high level of protection um, but still look cool that you can kind of walk around in i know we've got some that look a little bit like kind of converse or vans but they've got that kind of high top uh, type of length so the protection comes all the way up to the ankle underneath mm. you know, so meeting the bottom of the trousers um, and they've got protection at the toes as well um, as the ankles so you're you're covered from from tip to toe really <laughs> and still mm. looking cover quite your cool, ankles Cover your ankles, yes. people. They are a thing that can get, if you're in the very unfortunate situation of sliding down the road with a motorcycle on your leg, then ankles are a really bad thing to get to get to ground out. away. Oh, it's just... Yeah, they stick out. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, just, just don't. Cover your ankles, get some whatever footwear you're wearing, just cover the ankly bits because they're, they're worth protecting. They're worth protecting. I think the underlying rule here for protective gear, at least in my mind, is is just cover your skin. If you can see the skin, sk yeah, it is at risk science, is of it? of getting um, yeah, of, of being injured, of, of getting hurt, and being really significantly worse than it would be otherwise. And mm. and don't get us wrong, we opinion, we love skin. Skin is a fantastic thing. <laughs> does really well in protecting us within normal operating conditions which is going up to about or oh, maybe 11 or 12 k's an hour and that's about it so yeah mm. not not yes. designed for for speed not designed for no. rolling around on asphalt or gravel or other no, things no not designed um, for high impact no, <laughs> no. there, there are some good that. options so you can look mm. good and you can be safe and that's mm. yeah, that's what we're we're really all about is um, having fun and, and looking good and feeling good in a way that still allows you to manage those risks. So, our, our key mm. takeaways for today, um, on the one hand, you know, we're wanting to ride to stay alive, so that includes riding defensively, putting yourself in line so that you can see the the vehicles and the hazards around you and that you can be seen and that the best way to do this is with buffer zones um, in front behind around they give you time and space to respond mm -hmm. should just bonkers wild things happen on the road around you um, and that that second part there being around reducing your impact um, of any potential uh, incident by wearing good protective gear that is designed for motorcycling. Cover your skin, mm -hmm. protect your head, protect your joints, and you will be able to have fun and still get home. <laughs> spot on, spot on. Yeah. 
Which then brings us to, before we wrap up, just looking at the next episode. So the next episode, mm. we've, we're going to call Bridging the Confidence Gap. So you have, uh, no matter where you are, you've just got your learner's permit. You can now, so if, if again, if you're in South Australia, it'll be a course that you do for a couple of days. Um, and then you have the legal right to slap an L plate on the back of a, of a learner approved motorcycle and go and jump out in the middle of peak hour traffic uh, doing 100 k's <laughs> an hour. Therefore, now for some people, that's absolutely no problem, particularly for people who have grown up riding dirt bikes on the farm or similar. But for many people, that first leap of going from great, I'm now legally allowed to ride to, okay, now I need to be able to ride confidently in traffic at speed and do it safely without completely freaking out. There is a big, big gap. So mm -hmm. in the next episode, we're going to talk a bit about some of the things that in our experience can be really useful in bridging that confidence gap. So stay tuned. And uh, that is what we will talk about next time. Kaiba. Yes, I'm very excited. You know, hopefully you will have remembered some of the stories from our first uh, first episodes where I talked about my experience of that confidence gap. And we're going mm. to be going through some of the things that, um, that Mark and I did um, and that I did as well um, to try and address that gap and get to a point where feeling confident and uh, just good and comfortable writing um, in various different types of situations. Uh, but until then, until next time, please ride safe and have fun and we'll see you soon. This is Beyond the Pillion with your hosts Kahiwa Sabai and Mark Drexler. Find us on Instagram and YouTube as Beyond the Pillion. Leave a comment to let us know what you'd like to know more about. And if you liked us, remember to rate, review and subscribe or share this episode with a friend. It really helps other people find the podcast.